Hey, I'm Noble. Thanks for checking out the message today. I'm so thankful that you're here and we would love to connect with you. An easy way to do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97000. You can also go through our website and find out more about us and see what we have coming up. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church, you can text an amount to 84321 or you can go to the giving tab at the top of the page. I just want to thank you for being with us today and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Uh, We've had the opportunity to spend a ton of time in the Sermon on the Mount over the last really three years. uh, This is our third fall in the Sermon on the Mount. This This sermon is a message that Jesus taught um, to his followers, to thousands of people. It was really cool. Je- my wife and I, Jeannie, got to go to Israel in 2019, and we got to stand in the spot where Jesus preached this message. It's pretty cool to be able to see. And um, this is his longest recorded message, and it covers a lot of different topics. And we've been in chapter 6, and today we cover a topic that is really simple on its face, but absolutely immensely hard to live out and practice. Jesus has just taught us how to pray. We talked about over the, the, over the last couple of weeks. And if you're a guest with us this morning and would like to catch up a little bit on what we've been talking about, our messages are, on, are online at our website, or you can download the River Church app, and you can see our messages there and catch up. Also this morning, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can download the River Church app, and the Bible is there, or download an app, because I feel it's very important that you see God's Word. Don't just take my word for it. It's got to be God's word. Just because I have a title or I stand on a stage and I might talk okay doesn't mean you should be listening to me. It's got to be about God and his word. So I want you to see it in his word, not just my opinion, okay? So it's really important. The words will be on the screen too, but I think it's important that we're in the word together. But Jesus just taught us how to pray, but there's something interesting he said in that prayer about forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that is so absolutely difficult. I don't know, maybe you find it easy to forgive, but when somebody hurts me, I'm telling you, man, it's hard not to want to hurt them back. You know, I I say it often because it's something I struggle with. If somebody cuts me off in traffic, (laughs) ask my wife. I I get a little, I get a little, a, a, a little, frustrated. Um, but it's something I have to, I, I struggle with in my life too. And so how we forgive, you know, some of us have some pretty big hurts in this room. The person standing on the stage has some pretty big family hurts as well. We have things we have to let go because forgiveness is difficult and it's meaningful for us. I often heard it said that a lack of forgiveness is, is um, hoping somebody else has the effects of poison, but you drink it yourself. If we don't forgive, we're just drinking poison in our own lives. So let's hear what Jesus has to say in in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 to 15. Because he just said it in verse 12, but he reiterates it right after he teaches his followers how to pray. It's interesting that it's the first thing he talks about after he teaches them to pray. And he says this in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses... Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's, you're like, wait a minute. I thought if I accepted Jesus as my savior, all my sins were forgiven. But Jesus is saying, if I don't forgive somebody, I'm not forgiven? Well, surely he means something else. We're going to talk about it this morning. Let's pray first. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity again to dig into your word and to understand what you are teaching us. God, this area of forgiveness is so important in our lives, 
in our relationship with you because a lack of forgiveness blocks our relationship with you. It blocks relationships with other people. It, it causes us to be bitter and angry and turns us into people that, that you do not intend us to be. And so God, this morning, as we, as we dig into what your word says of Jesus, what you said about forgiveness, I pray, Lord, you would mold and shape our hearts. Soften us in the areas of our lives where we need to be softened toward people. And help us to begin that process of forgiving, which brings healing. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After the defeat of Hitler's Nazi regime in World War II, Holocaust survivor and Christian Cory Tin Boom returned to Germany to declare the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. One evening after giving her message, she was approached by a man who identified himself as a former Nazi guard at, a, at the concentration camp at Ravensbrück, where she had been held and where her sister, Betsy, had died. When Corey saw the, the man's face, she recognized him as one of the most cruel and vindictive guards from the camp. He reached out his hand and said to her, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? About this encounter, Corey writes, I stood there, I whose sins again, again had been forgiven and could not forgive. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. As she reached out her hand to the former guard, Corey says that something incredible took place. She continues, the current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. I had never known love so intensely as I did then, but even then it was not my love. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. How could somebody who went through the atrocities at Ravensbrook concentration camp, seeing her sister die a cruel death, how could she forgive one of the men, one of the guards, that was so cruel to everybody in that camp? How could that happen? Only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. And that story is just so poignant. As we dig into this and as we dig a little further, I want to make sure that we understand something, though. I want to talk to you about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Because sometimes I think we hold on to a lack of forgiveness because we think we're telling, it's like we have to say, I forgive you, it's okay. You don't have to add the it's okay at the end. When you forgive somebody, you're not telling them that what they did was okay unless you feel that it was. Forgiveness 
is actually admitting that there was a wrong, telling the other person that it actually hurt, but that you will no longer hold it against them. That you won't hold it against them anymore. And you may have to do that over and over and over and over, but that's what forgiveness is. It's releasing your claim of vengeance. It's taking the hit for another person's wrong because don't think that forgiveness isn't costly. Forgiveness is costly because I'm gonna say, I know you hurt me deeply, but I can't hold on to this anymore. And so I can move on and so that you can move on, I forgive you. Now, the other person may not care. They may come back at you and say, I don't need you forgiveness because forgiveness isn't even about the other person. Forgiveness is about your heart and what that bitterness and that struggle and that strife and that hanging on to something is doing to you and doing to your relationship with God. Forgiveness is difficult. See, when you forgive, you choose to let them go, let the situation go, and to no longer punish the other person. Because that's really what happens in unforgiveness. Well, I'm going to make them feel what I felt. And I, I got to tell you something I found in my life. I'm going to say about 70% of the time, the other person didn't even know that I was upset at them or that they had hurt me. Early on in my ministry, I'm going to say in my first couple of years here, um, back in early 2000s, um, I had somebody come to me after I was here after two years and really upset at me. And I didn't know what was going on. And they talked about something that I had said two years earlier, like in the first month I got here. And I didn't mean it the way they took it, but they took it that way and they held that for two years. This person never liked me. I was like, what's going on? Did I do something to him? I don't know. I guess I just have to keep moving forward. And then they're finally in my office telling me that I, that, that I offended them two years ago. And my only words were, I am so sorry. I wish you to come to me two years ago. I would have, I would have asked for forgiveness in that moment because that's not what I intended. But that person carried it for two years and it affected the relationship that I was able to have with them as a youth pastor at the time. And that happens to so many of us. It could be a coworker. It could be a family member. It could be, um, I don't know, somebody in your neighborhood. You know, they put leaves over your property line. <laughs> Get them. Right? But isn't it that those are the things that come up and then we hold on to them. And then all of a sudden, not only did they put leaves on the property line, they want my property. It turns into that, right? Now I must defend. It, it is my castle. Come on, right? But that sounds, that sounds ridiculous, but that's what happens. We build this stuff up. It starts off in like a mustard seed, and before we know it, it's Mount Kilimanjaro. And this person is evil and, you know, possessed by the devil or whatever. But that's what unforgiveness does in us. But it does even more when Jesus says that if, uh, just as we forgive, that's how we're forgiven. Whew, man. Got, this idea of forgiveness is important for us to understand. And rather than me try to wax eloquently or talk through uh, forgiveness, I want to let Jesus talk this morning. I try to do that all the time, but specifically this morning, I really want to talk about two different parables that he talked about. First one, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn over a few pages to Luke chapter 15. Who am I kidding? Don't turn over a few pages, a few screen swipes. Uh, to Luke chapter 15. Um, we're going to start in verse 11. And I really just want to go over 
the, what Jesus is talking about here with the prodigal son. You may have heard the story. You may not have heard the story. I want to make sure that you understand what Jesus is saying here. So starting in verse 11, he says this. There, there was a man, by the way, a parable is a story that Jesus used in his ministry to convey a spiritual truth that he was talking about the kingdom of God. So this isn't necessarily something that happened. Jesus was a master storyteller. I mean, he was son of God, so he kind of had a, you know, he had it going on, right? So the reality is, is he, he knew what he was doing. He was telling stories to let people know what was going on in there and, and the way they would learn. So that's what this is. Again, verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, you're not dying soon enough. I mean, that's basically what he said. You're, you haven't kicked the bucket yet. I'm young. I'm vivacious. I want to go live my best life. But I can't do that without your money, so pony up, bro. That's basically what he's saying. I want my influence now. Or influence. In, inheritance. That's the word I'm looking for. I want my inheritance now. I want to be able to spend it now. And I'm surprised that this dad doesn't go, what? You kidding me? Come here, boy. I'm going to, right? I and mean, that's what I would expect dad to do, but that's not what dad does. I think... I mean, in this parable, the father represents the heavenly father. And so, spoiler alert, I just ruined the whole story. Not really, but, but the reality is, is he has a plan that he knows is going to play out in his son's life. And he knows his son has to go through a lot of pain to be able to get there. And so he goes and he squanders all of his money. He has all kinds of friends because he's got a lot of money. He goes and hits the you know, biblical time equivalent of Las Vegas and lives it up. And verse 14, he says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So when he, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So the friends he had were only friends to get what they got. When he didn't have anything to give, they were no longer his friends. He had no one. And we can't miss this here. This is a story within the Jewish people. Pigs were one of the most unclean animals possible for a Jew to be around. So not only is Jesus saying the guy lost his money, he lost all his friends, he lost his family, he had nothing. He had to degrade himself. He had to make himself not temple worthy, not worthy to be in the presence of God to be able to eat at least according to Jewish culture. He had to give up everything just to be able to eat the slop that the pigs didn't want. And in verse 17, but when he came to himself, when he finally realized what was going on, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I can picture him trying to find some sort of a mirror and practicing his speech in front of the mirror. This is what I'm going to say to my dad. I want to be ready. Man, the servants eat better than I am right now. I'm not worthy to be called his son anymore. Look at what I've done. Can you hear the shame in his voice? Hear the shame in his life. The weight he now carries, the lesson he had to learn the very hardest way possible. 
But he says, hey, maybe I can at least go be a servant in my father's house. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. My friends, we have all been the prodigal. We have all been the prodigal. Maybe you're the prodigal right now. We thought things should be done a certain way. We've, we've done things our own way. So many times our attitude is not what they should be. We think we can do things our own way. Some of you have heard this story in my life and hadn't planned on sharing it today, but it's popping up again. It pops up every once in a while. And I was that prodigal when I was 17 years old. I knew God had called me to ministry back at the age of 13. Through all kinds of circumstances, I I, I knew God was calling me to be a youth pastor at the age of 13. And I was moving in that direction. And then I started dating somebody, and I was 16, and, you know, did things I shouldn't have. And my dad was dying at the time. There's all kinds of things that happened. Then the summer came after I graduated. That girl broke up with me. My dad had just died. I was heading off to school to try to be a youth pastor, and I told God where he could go. I literally flipped off the sky. And I said I didn't want anything to do with ministry. I didn't want, to, I didn't want anything to do with any of it. If he's going to take all that from me, then is he even worthy to be called God in my life? He let me be the prodigal, but he didn't let me go. Because when I turned when I realized the the path I was heading and by the grace of God, it was within a couple months and I made it to school that fall. But God turned that around through different people and different things. And when I turned around, you know what I found? I found him looking at the top of the hill for me. I found him waiting. And I bet many of us in this room could have testimonies of that. That when you felt like you were too far gone, when you felt like you had done too much, when you felt like you had just just said, God, forget you, you found him at the top of the hill. And when you turned around and came toward him, he ran to you like the father and the prodigal son. If you find yourself this morning as that prodigal, let me tell you, if you would turn today, if you would just turn, he is waiting for you. And when you start walking toward him, he's taken off. Because he is a good father who loves you so much. So much. If you don't know him this morning, you can turn and call his name. If you believe what he said he did, that he died on the cross and rose from your sins, and you believe who he says he is, that he's the son of God, the Bible tells us that if we call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved and your sins are forgiven and your eternal destiny can be changed. Because he's waiting for you. He loves you that much and none of it's deserved. We don't deserve it. Every single one of us has turned to our own way. 
But God chose to put the iniquity of every single one of us on Jesus, the sins of all of us on him. None of us can earn it. We cannot earn it. There is no scale in the universe that can weigh your good deeds against your bad deeds and have you be able to be in a perfect eternity in heaven with God the Father. It's freely given, and it can be freely received. But look at how this brother responds in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. For me, killing the fattened calf is, we went to Miyako, all right? I love that place. that's, That's celebratory for me, all right? But he was angry, and the brother refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Man, there is no grace, no forgiveness, no compassion in this brother. And how often do we find ourselves in that place? How often do we find ourselves there? This brother had forgotten everything that was his. Can you imagine that the prodigal ever forgot what he was forgiven of? And yet we forget we were ever the prodigal. We forget what we've been forgiven of and we hold things over people all the time and it affects our relationship with God. And Jesus had something to say about that too. Back to Matthew. We're going to Matthew chapter 18 this time. Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna be in verse 21. I love Peter, uh, the, 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 the disciple, the apostle Peter. He's so impulsive. He's like, let's go, let's go. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, no, I'm going to do that. I mean, he's just, I identify with Peter. I just do. I really identify with him. He always asks the question everybody's thinking, but it's too afraid to ask. Peter's like, I'm good. Let's ask it. And he starts here. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18 says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Okay, you got to understand what's going on here. Okay? So Peter's like, hey, this guy comes up and cuts me off in traffic. His camel pulled right over. (laughs) Did stuff in front of me. Anyway, but that happened. I have to forgive him, ooh, seven times. Now, seven times is no small thing because the rabbis of the day were teaching around the law that you had to forgive someone three times. So Peter's like, double plus one, seven times, let's go. Jesus is going to love my answer. This is the Jesus answer for everything, right? It's seven times, seven times, right? This is, this is Jesus is going to love this. Well, but Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations translate this as 70 times seven. Can you imagine Peter? So whether it's 77 or 490, he's going, okay, so after 77 or 490 times, (laughs) I got him. 
right? Because that's really the motivation behind the question. When can I get my vengeance is really the question. And isn't that really the question so much for us when we've been wronged? When are they going to get theirs? Because that hurt. And I don't want to trivialize it too much and only talk about traffic. Some of you in this room have been through abuse. Some of you in this room have been through things that should not be spoken of. Or you don't want to speak of them because they're so dark and horrible. How do you forgive that? How do you let that go? Let's see what Jesus has to say here. Because he's really telling Peter, look, stop counting and start forgiving. It's not about the number. It's about the fact that it's time to start forgiving. I mean, I love what this commentator also said before I get to what Jesus said in response to Peter's question. He says this, what Jesus says in 1822 is that Christians must forgive other Christians who ask for forgiveness and must forgive them if needed over and over. Now, will another Christian actually sin against you 490 times? Perhaps. I don't know about you, but I think it's safe to say that I sin intentionally or unintentionally at least once a day. I think we all could say that. We all mess up and probably sin at least once a day. So let's consider what God's forgiven us. There are 365 days in the year. This particular man says, I'm 40 years old. That's over 14,000 sins. Well, then just imagine if my wife, my children, my church kept count. Just imagine if God kept count of my sins, not to mention your sins. Through Christ, God doesn't keep count, so don't you keep count. That's the point. As God in Christ forgives us again and again and again, so we are to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ again and again and again. And yes, I believe Jesus is even talking about people outside the body of Christ because we've been forgiven enough. Let's see what Jesus has to say here. There's three scenes in this. This is the first scene. Verses 23 to 27 says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. Okay, So Jesus, first of all, is saying the kingdom of heaven. This is how this works in, in my kingdom. This is how it works in God's kingdom. Okay, if you're a part of the kingdom of God, this is how it works. You can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Again, this is another one of those things where we can just read over and not understand it completely. Some of you have studied this. That's great. Many of us probably haven't. There's so much going on here. Who do you imagine the master represents? God the Father. The servant? You and me. You and me. We have to understand something about 10,000 talents. A talent was the highest unit of currency of that day. It was the absolute highest unit of currency. The biggest you could have. It had the most value. 10,000 was the highest number in Greek. 10,000 was the highest numeral. So 10,000 talents... Jesus is saying it is an unimaginable amount. 
It was an insurmountable debt. Zillions of dollars, literally. Zillions. You can't pay it back. How this person amassed that kind of a debt? Man, he had to be living on the, on the large, you know? But that's what Jesus is saying here. The debt's huge. Now, it's interesting, though, that when we look at this, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God here. Jesus is talking about his view of sin here, too. It's easy to overlook that. Jesus is talking about his view of sin and how important and how, how evil sin is. He's saying that our sin is larger than anything we could ever pay, our debt. Jesus is revealing his anthropology, what he thinks, what he believes, or what he knows men and women are, and where our stance is. Jesus says the debt isn't just 10,000, 100 million dollars, or 100 trillion, billion, zillion, quadrillion, thousand. He's saying that the sin that we have in our hearts is an insurmountable debt that can never be paid back. People are bad because people are full of sin, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And I know that can be hard to hear. One of the hardest things to actually accept when we come to Jesus is that we have sinned and that we're broken and that we are in need of a savior because you know what? Our tendency is want to, be in, is to want to be in control of everything. We think we're inherently good. We think that we can do good things. But my friend, the only good in you is part of the image of God, part of the image that he put in you. And the reality is for every single one of us, God's word tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, Romans 3.23. We have all sinned and our relationship with God has been separated. Has been separated. And then in Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. The payment of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there is a gap, there is a, there, is a, there is a pit that we find ourselves in, and there is no way we can climb out of that pit on our own. There is no possible way for us to be able to climb out of the pit. There's no amount of money you can make, no amount of work you can do to pay back this debt, because it is a quadrillion, zillion, trillion, all the numbers you want to put in there. That's how big our debt is. The only way out is by the old rugged cross. The only way out is the amazing cross, the colossal cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross that Jesus died, the cross that paid our insurmountable debt because my insurmountable debt and your insurmountable debt was laid on Jesus at the cross. And it's the reason why he declared, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, when my sin fell on the Son of God, the Father could no longer look at him. And that's why it turned dark. Jesus was not only willing to die in my place, he was willing to suffer the separation from his father so I never have to. I never have to experience that separation from God the Father because he took the blow. He took those 10,000 talents that I owed to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he wiped it clean. And if he did the same for you, don't take it for granted. And if you have not yet done that, you can have your debt wiped today. I'd love to talk to you about that after the gathering. Jesus became my sin. He became your sin. See, this illustration is what King Jesus has done for every single one of us. So that's the first scene. 
Here's the second scene in verses 28 to 30. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, we have to look at this a little bit further too. A denarius was a day's wages. So, a hundred denarii is like a little over, like three and a half months, let's say. Three and a half months of your pay. You do the math. You earn 5000 a month, 10, That's not a small amount of money, mind you. It's not a small amount of money. But what had this guy just been forgiven? And I'm not talking about there was time. I'm saying this guy went straight out from getting that debt paid off, forgiven, and he goes out and he searches for him. He finds him and he chokes him. I don't know about you, it kind of makes me want to puke. And yet when we forget what we've been forgiven and we hold anything over anyone else, we are the same person. We are the same person. What does God require of us? Micah 6, 8 says this, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Some translations say to love mercy. To love kindness is to love mercy. We're not all that good at love and mercy, are we? Maybe I'm the only one here this morning, but I'm not good at love and mercy. And then we find out what happens when we don't forgive, verses 31 to 35. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. (laughs) Duh. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Takes us right back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Where he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. If you don't forgive people, you won't be forgiven. In the same way that you forgive, you will be forgiven. I don't know about you, but that's a big ouch. Makes me really consider in my heart. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this message and forgiveness, and I feel like I can act in forgiveness a lot better than I can feel it in my heart. Now, I've always said you have to act before you feel. You act yourself into obedience. You don't feel yourself into obedience, right? the, The feelings will follow when you do the right thing. 
but you have to keep doing the right thing because you've been called to it. Like Corey Ten Boom said, forgiveness isn't necessarily an act of the emotion. It is an act of the will. You have to choose to forgive. And the Holy Spirit will continue to work that in you. Former Dallas police officer Amber Geiger was sentenced on Wednesday of 2020, 2021 to serve 10 years in prison for the fatal killing of Botham Jean in 2018, an innocent man whom she shot when she mistakenly entered his apartment believing it was her own. You may have heard this story. But in a remarkable act of kindness, the brother of the victim took the witness stand and spoke directly to Geiger saying, I love you like anyone else. And later hugged her in the courtroom before she was let off to prison. Jean's 18-year-old brother, Brant Jean, took the witness stand and spoke to Geiger saying, I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I love you just like anyone else and I'm not going to hope you rot and die. I personally want the best for you. I wasn't going to say this in front of my family, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want for you. Give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ is the best thing Botham would want for you. Brant Jean then asked the judge if he could give Geiger a hug, and it was a request the judge granted. He stepped off the witness stand, met Geiger in front of the judge's bench, and embraced as Geiger broke into tears. The judge would later be seen trying to offer this, this woman that committed a horrendous act uh, words of hope, and the judge would hand her a Bible. Only by the grace of God. My friends, we have to understand that forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. That is the bottom line I want us to hear tonight. Beyond the verse that's that's next, forgiven people forgive. See, what the reality of this is, is if we choose not to forgive, we're actually showing our identity. I actually entitled this message, Identity by Forgiveness. If we don't forgive, we're showing what kingdom we actually belong to. Because if we know what we've truly been forgiven, then we will forgive. I'm not saying it's easy. But if we are truly forgiven, we will forgive. For me personally, I have a heart for people that are in debt because I know what it did to my family. I know the freedom that comes when you pay off that debt. And I don't look at people anymore and say, well, you're an idiot because you got into debt. I just don't do it anymore because I struggled with it for for over 20 years. I have a heart for people there because I know what God forgave me of. Because it wasn't my strength that was able to do that. It was his strength. His strength was perfect in my weakness. And the reality is every single one of us has a story about something where God has, has brought us through something and we have an opportunity to bring healing and forgiveness to someone else. He helps us so we can help others. That's scriptural. But how dare we hold anything over someone else when we realize how much we've been forgiven? But if we go back just a page or two to Matthew chapter 25, or sorry, verse, chapter 5, verses 25, sorry, 23 and 24, if I can read. 
23 and 24, it says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. See, so many times the reasons we don't forgive is what Jesus addressed in that short passage there of the Sermon on the Mount. It's anger. We have anger. We get angry. And I'm telling you this morning, I don't know that anger ever serves us well. And holding grudges. How can we hold a grudge when we realize what we've been forgiven of? I think that turns, I think that's really the issue, is we've forgotten what we've been forgiven of. So I want to ask you this morning, do you need to be forgiven? Are you in a place right now where you know you've hurt someone? Or maybe there's something in a relationship that you're not quite sure what's going on, but something isn't right, and maybe you were mistaken for something you said, or do you need to take the initiative and go to someone and say, I'm not sure what happened, but can we talk? Have I done something? Because if I have, can you please tell me I value you that much? That's what unforgive or that's what forgiveness does. It says I value you more than the the pain. Who do you need to forgive? I, 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 don't, I don't stand up here acting like I've got it all figured out or that I've forgiven everything, man. I've, I've got my own parent stuff. My parents are no longer living. And there's still things I struggle with on at least a monthly basis that I still have to forgive after they've passed. But I've also found the longer I hang on to those things, the more it just hurts me, especially in those instances where you don't have the opportunity to have any restoration from that forgiveness. Some of you in this room, forgiveness is not about restoration with an individual. It's about letting it go so you can hear the voice of God again. Where are you at with forgiveness? If God's placed something on your heart today, give it to him. But I have one final question that I want to ask this morning. Do you need to, do you need, do you need to forgive yourself? Are you carrying around shame that God never wanted you to carry? Because I want to encourage you this morning, if God has forgiven you, how dare you hold it against yourself? I say it every week and I mean it from the bottom of my heart and I know it because it's true in God's word. You are loved more than you could ever imagine. And if you're carrying shame this morning, it's time to forgive yourself because God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. What do you need this morning? Do you need to ask forgiveness? Do you need to give forgiveness? Or do you need to actually forgive yourself today? If you'd like to talk to somebody, I'd be honored to speak with you. I'd be honored to talk to you after the gathering. I'd be honored to pray with you. If that's what you'd like, I'll just pray for you. I don't even need to know the circumstances. Just come up and I would love to pray over you. I know my wife would. I know Cam would as, the, as our gathering director. We have deacons here too that would love to pray for you. But this idea of forgiveness is so, it can be so crippling and so freeing at the same time. What's God saying to you today? Who do you need to forgive?
Remember what you've been forgiven because forgiven people forgive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for how challenging the Sermon on the Mount is, Lord. That Jesus, you didn't pull any punches. You told us exactly the way it is. And yet, what's so awesome about all of this, Lord, is you don't, you don't expect us to change ourselves. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Your word tells us that you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing we could possibly need to be able to become like you, be able to become like Jesus. And you give us that strength right when we need it. Not too early, not too late. You give us the strength in the moment. And so, God, if there are people here today that need to go ask for forgiveness, I pray that they would do that. If there are people that need to offer forgiveness, I pray that they would do that. If they need to forgive themselves, I pray that they would hear your voice speaking love and forgiveness over them so that, God, their prayers would, not, would stop bouncing off the ceiling, that, God, their relationship with you can be restored, that they wouldn't hold anything against someone else that you've forgiven them of. God, thank you that when I was the prodigal, never let me go. And I pray that all of us prodigals in this room would be reminded of what you've done and how good you are and offer forgiveness freely as freely as we have received forgiveness from you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.